0: This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehyeus Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight...
1: One of the things we as Africans need to resist is this impulse of wanting to direct a double standard form of international
0: conduct. That's uh, South Africa's international relations minister Naldi Pandor defending her government's relationship with Russia. Details coming up also. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is in Pretoria today. The former president of Mauritania goes on trial for graft. And Russia's Wagner Group faces new sanctions. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen heads to South Africa today as part of her 12-day Africa visit, which started in Senegal, then took her to Zambia. Tuso Kumalo joins us now from Johannesburg to talk about her trip. Welcome to African News Tonight, Tuso. Welcome. Thank you. So, so what is the agenda in South Africa for Secretary Yellen? This is quite a crucial
2: meeting for South Africa, uh, her visit here, because it happens at a time when uh, South Africa's economy is really in very bad shape with people going for hours without electricity. Top on the agenda and the discussions that she's going to hold with authorities here is deepening economic ties uh, with South Africa, as well as expanding investment in different areas. And, of course, uh, the energy talks are also going to take place because South Africa is in a very difficult position now in terms of uh, energy uh, fueling the industry. A lot of people losing their jobs and uh, it it comes in that background where it is expected that uh, some solutions will be found there. Other things that they will talk about definitely talks about uh, the war in Ukraine. We know that South Africa has not up to now condemned Russia for that invasion, but America taking a very radical stance of saying uh, that war should end. It was not supposed to be there and Russia should pull out there. So these are some of the things that they are going to uh, to talk about and quite a packed uh, program throughout the three days that she's going to be here.
0: So has she met uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa?
2: From what we know is that uh, uh, th- there is no indication that she's going to meet President Cyril Ramaphosa and uh, um, uh, currently uh, her program is that uh, tomorrow She's uh, going to be touring one of South Africa's wildlife parks. And uh, after that, on Thursday, she's going to be meeting with the finance minister, Inokodongwana, and uh, also the reserve bank governor, uh, Lesisha Akanyaho, and of course, visit a Ford Motor Company. And uh, the program on Friday is that she's going to be uh, traveling to the mine. Uh, uh, mining region or province of Mpumalanga where they are going to be viewing some of the uh, 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 power plants that South Africa is using to fuel itself. So according to this program for now, we are not clear if she's going to be able to meet our President Ramaphosa.
0: Has the, uh, maybe the Ukraine uh, uh, rapprochement South uh, Russia uh, and uh, South Africa, has that been maybe an impediment for uh, Ms. Yeltsin, not to actually meet uh, President Ramaphosa.
2: It's not clear for now, but what we know is that uh, when, when the Russian uh, minister was here, after that meeting, uh, they, they came out uh, in support of each other, praising each other, uh, uh, advocating that, saying that they will strengthen the relations between the two countries. So whether that has been an impediment or not, uh, we it's not clear. But in her itinerary, uh, it was not indicated uh, that she would meet President Ramaphosa. Maybe this is how it was made, but uh, it's likely that uh, uh, Ramaphosa uh, could meet her because this is a very crucial trip for South Africa. It needs the President to be there. As I say, that South Africa's economy is in a very bad shape and uh, it is a person, a person in the person of Ramaphosa. Corsa, who could also uh, put a plea to America in terms of doing more investment, giving assurances and confidence that South Africa is ready uh, and open for business.
0: Our reporter to Sokumalo from Johannesburg. Thank you for your input. Thank you so much. South Africa is being criticized for its decision to host the Russian and Chinese navies next month for a multilateral maritime exercise. Some critics say Pretoria's invitation to the Russian navy in particular is inconsiderate given Moscow's war on Ukraine. But as Darren Taylor reports, the South African government says its friendship with Russia should not be questioned.
3: A senior official in South Africa's Department of International Relations told VOA it's extremely hypocritical of Westerners to criticise Pretoria's naval drills with Russia when the United States is currently holding its largest military exercise with Israel. He said South Africa considers Israel to be an apartheid state, waging a long and unjust war on Palestine. But... Pretoria does not condemn America's alliance with Israel as it respects every country's right to choose its friends. International Relations Minister Naledi Pandor spoke along the same lines when she briefed the media after meeting her Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, in Pretoria on Monday.
1: One of the things we as Africans need to resist is this impulse of wanting to direct a double standard form of international conduct toward us. That what I do is okay for me, but you cannot do it because you are a developing country or you are Africa. That is an abuse of international practice. All countries conduct military exercises with
3: friends worldwide. That's true, says military analyst Guy Martin, but... Not all countries hold war drills with a protagonist of one of the most controversial invasions in history, a protagonist launching missiles at apartment buildings and hospitals.
1: It's uh, another signal that South Africa is supportive of Russia. And although the government is sticking to the line that South Africa is a neutral third party and hopes for a peaceful resolution to the conflict in Ukraine, we've seen quite a few signs that South Africa is leaning more towards Russia
3: than Ukraine. One of these signs, says Martin, happened in December when a Russian cargo vessel docked near Cape Town. Officials confirmed the ship received a consignment of ammunition. They said Moscow had ordered before the COVID pandemic. Martin says Pretoria could have quietly opted out of the military exercise. Instead, he says, it chose to hand the Kremlin a public relations victory. The government as a whole has not read the room and they're a little bit tone deaf
1: towards the implications that an exercise like this has and the message that it's sending. The fact that this exercise is happening around the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the timing, it's a little bit insensitive.
3: The controversy is unfolding while U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen visits South Africa Her talks with President Sur Ramaphosa, scheduled for Wednesday. Many in Ramaphosa's African National Congress, ANC, government were educated and received military training in the former Soviet Union during the apartheid era. Moscow also supported the ANC's struggle for liberation with weapons and money, while many Western nations stood back. Martin says it seems as if the ruling party's history is overriding South Africa's present-day best interests. He says South Africa has little to gain and plenty to lose by maintaining close ties with Russian President Vladimir Putin.
1: If you look at the amount of trade that South Africa gets with Russia versus the West or even any other of the BRICS countries, it's extremely minimal. So the payoff, I'm not sure if it's worth it. If you look at how much criticism South Africa is getting because of this, from a political point of view, it's uh, maybe a dubious
3: choice. It's also a strange choice on a practical level, says Martin, because much of South Africa's naval fleet is currently in dry dock because of lack of funding and poor maintenance of vessels. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg.
0: The former president of Mauritania goes on trial for graft on Wednesday. The French news agency AFP says Mohamed Old Aziz and 11 others from his administration have been charged with corruption, money laundering and illicit enrichment. The charges follow a parliamentary investigation into his handling of oil revenues, the sale of state assets, the winding up of public company in charge of food supplies and the activities of a Chinese Fishing company, AFP says Aziz also is suspected of taking money from state contracts and of amassing a fortune of more than seventy-two million dollars. The former general rejects all charges against him and says he has plenty of political enemies, including current president Muhammad Uld Guzani. whose lawyer says his rights have been violated and that his defense has not yet had full access. To his case file. You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yeheyes Wuhib in Washington. Do not forget to check our voaafrica.com for all the latest news and all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs. Find us on voaafrica.com and look for us on your favorite social media platforms. The head of the Russian private military contractor, Wagner, published on Saturday a short letter to the White House asking what crime his company was accused of after Washington announced new sanctions on the group. The U.S. government has designated a Wagner uh, as a significant transnational criminal organization. The new designation will allow the United States to apply wider sanctions against the paramilitary group, which has also operated in Syria, Libya, and the Central African Republic, among other hotspots. For more on the issue, VOA's Douglas Puka reached out to Jedofor Adibi. Professor of International Relations and Political Science at Nasrawa State University in Kifi, Nigeria.
4: I think the essence is to, first of all, make sure it doesn't uh, get uh, patronized by Western allies and it permits it to directly freeze its own assets, uh, the corporation's assets. Um, you note, know, for example, that it avoided. Um, Designating it as a criminal organization or as a mercenary, but uh, the important thing here is that by so designating it, the especially African countries that utilize its services will start come under pressure that they are dealing with pariah. Because uh, apart from funding from, uh, you know, Western countries getting its services, it, it's it's able to, you know, raise substantial funds. Uh, Not just from direct payment by African countries, but sometimes from, you know, mining these resources, as we see in Central African Republic and in the Sudan. So it is uh, to delegitimize the group that I think uh, the the primary aim it wants to accomplish. But of course, we know it's part of the the big power politics, because uh, Wagner is not substantially different from Blackwater. The U.S. Blackwater or the Titan Corp. and uh, being involved because it's a Russian company and it's suspected to be tied or funded from the go- by the government. So operating in Ukraine, you know, uh, it's more like saying that Russians are operating in Ukraine. There's a war between them, so it's it's actually very difficult to, you know, criminalize that group in that context because. It's it's much easier if you if you focus on their activities in another country, say, Mali, or countries that they are not in conflict with. But as I said, it will seem that the essence of doing that is to delegitimize Wagner and uh, make sure that people who want to patronize them or want to use these services know that they are dealing with a group regarded as a pariah by the U.S. What do we know of the Wagner group's role in Africa? There are those who say its influence is growing in most of those, as you say, mineral areas and other conflict areas?
2: Well, just like uh, the
4: whole use of, uh, you know, mercenaries, there are reasons why, you know, they use them. For example, if you do not want to endanger your military, or if you don't feel your military is sophisticated enough to do that, especially in the context of uh, counterterrorism. So if you look at Mali, in the the very active in trying to push the terrorists there. Of course, it is debatable on whether they are succeeding or not. Some have argued that uh, groups like Wagner and including Blackwater and Titan, because they are not like reservists, they are motivated by a gain, which means they have a vested interest in the conflict continuing. Or even if the conflict ends, they want to create another conflict in order to continue to be in you know, to sustain itself. That's one of the big criticisms. And there are also people who have raised questions on whether they are really effective, you know, in terms of being used as proxies in fighting proxy wars. These are, these are debates, but the important thing is that they are, you know, they are being utilized on an increasing level, and some people have even gone ahead to equate them to drones or manned drones and say if some countries can use a mandroids, you know, um, there's nothing morally wrong for them to use private military companies or private military security companies. Yes, the main concern is human rights violation. There is also concern that they tamper, they get involved in the domestic affairs of countries, including in elections, as we saw in the U.S. And that case of Wagner, it is another name for a network of... uh, uh, Russia, you know, a complex network in which now Russia uses it to promote its own objectives.
0: That was Jido Foradibe, Professor of International Relations and Political Science at Nasrawa State University in Keffi, Nigeria. He spoke with my colleague Douglas Mpuga. The government of Eswatini has criticized speculation it may have been responsible for the killing of well-known human rights lawyer Tulani Masiko and pledged to investigate. Masiko, who was shot dead at his home Saturday, was an outspoken critic of the government, which rights groups say made him a target in the past. Human rights groups, Western embassies and the UN have all expressed concern over the killing. Kate Backlett reports from Johannesburg, South Africa.
5: Most accounts Tulani Maseko, shot dead by unknown gunmen at his home over the weekend, was one of Eswatini's shining lights, a rare critical voice in Africa's last remaining absolute monarchy. The 52-year-old, a former fellow at American University's Washington College of Law, was not only a human rights lawyer but also a prominent opposition politician and columnist. He was a thorn in the side of the government of Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, and had been jailed for more than a year in 2014. Maseko's death came just hours after the king, Maswati III, spoke against activists challenging his rule. Robert Shavambu is Amnesty International's Southern Africa spokesman.
2: The cold-blooded, unlawful killing of Tulani Maseko offers a chilling reminder that human rights defenders, especially those at the front, of calling for political reform in Eswatini are not safe. If they are not being persecuted, harassed or intimidated by the state, they are at risk of losing their lives. Maseko's family deserves justice. His killers must be brought to trial.
5: Shavambu said any investigation must be conducted separately from the government and its agencies. Eswatini, a small kingdom bordering South Africa and Mozambique and a former British colony, has been ruled by the king since 1986. He has absolute power and has regularly been accused of human rights abuses. In 2021, there were large pro-democracy protests that resulted in several deaths. Eswatini government spokesman, Alfius Mumalo hit back at what he said were unjust insinuations on social media that the government had any hand in Maseko's killing.
0: The
4: position of government is the same. We are baffled, we are taken aback, and we are very disappointed. That you are quoting political activists in the country in South Africa who are blaming government for the murderous uh, crime that has been committed against the person of uh, Mr. Masego. Government have got no, absolutely no hand in the matter of Mr. Masego.
5: He said an investigation was underway into who was responsible.
4: Mr. Masego has been doing human rights uh, activism in this country for a long time. He has been out to schools internationally, came back, continued with his agenda. He was absolutely no threat whatsoever at any given time as we were pursuing our political agenda in the country.
5: Amnesty Shivambu said Maseko's death, which already has sent a chilling message to pro-democracy activists across the country, may signify an escalation in attacks against those who are openly seeking political reforms. The story has made international headlines with United Nations human rights chief Volker Turk urging an impartial investigation into the killing. The U.S. Embassy in Eswatini expressed profound sadness at the murder, while the EU voiced grave concern about the rights situation in Eswatini. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg.
0: The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, is condemning escalating violence in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, which has killed hundreds of civilians and forced hundreds of thousands to flee their homes in search of safety. Lisa Schlan reports from Geneva.
6: More than 130 armed groups operating in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo are creating havoc and terrorizing the population with their brutal frequent attacks. Whole communities have become uprooted. Millions of displaced people have been consigned to a life of destitution and dependence on international aid. The latest deadly attack occurred in Nitori province on January 19th at the Plan Savo site for internally displaced people. UN Refugee Agency spokeswoman Eugene Byun says armed men stormed the site and killed two adults and five children.
5: Many shelters were looted and burned down to the ground. As many as 17,000 people fled to the greater security of the nearby town of Boule. They are now staying in schools, church and poorly covered outdoor markets without sufficient food and water.
6: The UNHCR says more than 200 civilians have been killed in a series of attacks in Aturi in the last six weeks, causing tens of thousands to flee for safety. It says deadly and destructive attacks by armed men also are occurring in neighboring North Kivu province. Since March, it says more than half a million people have been forced to flee for their lives, increasing the number of displaced people in the province to more than two million Byun says the many displaced are unable to provide for themselves and depend upon aid for survival from humanitarian agencies. Amidst
5: this uh, volatility, UNHCR and partners continue to le- deliver life-saving assistance to displaced population. The violence and instability in the region also mean that UNHCR and partners are delivering life-saving shelter, site management and protection services, despite risk to the safety of uh, humanitarian personnel.
6: Besides a lack of security and a lack of access to volatile areas, Bjorn says the UNHCR lacks the money to support the many and growing needs of the displaced. She notes only 46% of the agency's appeal last year was covered. She says the UNHCR hopes this year's call for $233 million will emit a more generous response. More than 5.6 million people are internally displaced in the DRC, making it the largest displacement crisis on the African continent. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva.
0: And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehayas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbili Barrow and our engineer, Helen Cordillan, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.